1: Good morning. My name is Katrina Anderson, and today I am here with Mrs. Claire Belargeau, and today we are going to be taking a look at Espionage and Enslavement in the Revolution, the true story of Robert Townsend and Elizabeth, written by Claire Belargeau and Tiffany Yackie Brooks, with a foreword by Vanessa Williams. Mrs. Belargeau, thank you for joining me this morning.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you and all of your listeners about this incredible story.
1: So I hear that this is a very fascinating story as to how you came across these documents, how you were able to bring forth a woman of African descent for the 18th century, which is a Rare find indeed.
0: Yes, this is a true story. And how I first encountered list was quite amazing. Um, there's a museum in Oyster Bay, New York on Long Island that was always telling the story of the white family that lived there, the Townsend family. And I was working at the museum on the weekends, giving tours to the public. And this was 17 years ago. Anyway, the museum purchased at auction, a Bible. They paid $10,000 to get this little Bible because on the end papers of the Bible, there were written names of enslaved people who had been enslaved by that family. And until they bought that Bible, they really had no idea that there was any slavery at that site. And so that was my first introduction to Northern slavery at all and yet Liz was not one of the people mentioned in that bible record it but it was the bible record that inspired me to do an exhibit on slavery at that site and in that town of oyster bay and as i searched in different archives and museum collections for records to do that exhibit that's when i discovered some letters that led me to understand what had happened with elizabeth
1: so, as you were working on the exhibit, especially about when one thing I want to highlight that you mentioned is that this was your first introduction to Northern slavery in the Bay, Oyster Bay region, excuse me. What would be, you would say, some of the most prominent things that you found out about Northern slavery?
0: What's amazing about Northern slavery is how little people talk about it and how little it's understood. Uh, prior to doing this research, I had heard things like slavery is a Southern institution. Slavery is something that happened during the civil war. Or when people would talk about Northern slavery, they would minimize it and say, well, people had one or two slaves, but they treated them like family. And as I dug into this research, that was anything but true. In fact, after I had researched this family's uh, enslavement of other people, I actually discovered 20 different individuals who were enslaved there over time, just by this one family. And when I learned about the practices of slavery on Long Island, they were brutal. It was nothing like this idea that they were treated like family. I actually found out that as of 1730, all of these towns had paid slave whippers. They also called Negro whippers. So the town where List was born and lived in slavery had a person who was appointed by the town to whip slaves publicly.
1: So that completely refutes the notion of a benign institution in the North. It was actually quite brutal. It
0: was, yeah. And you can also begin to dig into some of the runaway slave ads that you'll see in the New York area and, you know, really understand the the horrible conditions that enslaved people had to live in. Not to mention the fact that Their children could be sold away from them by the time they were 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, and families would be ripped apart and have no way of ever being reunited. It's really a terrible institution and just as bad in the North as it was in the South. Though the numbers were a little different because the agriculture in the North wasn't as widespread, wasn't as large.
1: Very, very true. Now, from all of this, this led you to finding Lys. Yes. So how exactly did you find her?
0: I had written to an institution, the East Hampton Library. I knew that they had documents in their collection about this Townsend family. And it was so long ago that when they sent me these documents, they were sent by fax. And so since I only worked at the museum on the weekends, I kind of got a message a few days after they had arrived, there's something in the fax machine for you. And so I raced over, got these very hard to read fax sheets, Uh, it was these letters that had been photocopied and then faxed, and tried to start to put together the words that I was reading. And... As they emerged from this murky photocopied fax sheet of paper, they were talking about a woman who was in Charleston and who this man who was writing the letter was desperately trying to get back to New York. It was at that time that I realized that I actually had an earlier document about her life, a document that had been misinterpreted at the museum, but was really about her escape during the Revolutionary War, that's that's an incredible other part of her story that The museum had a letter about lifts but they had been misinterpreting it for decades
1: Oh my goodness, so what was your next step? What did you do?
0: Believe it or not the way they had been misinterpreting this letter was pretty shocking and it kind of speaks to how people of color have been left out of the story all along the way Um, this letter about her escape for years was misinterpreted as a letter about the british stealing a cow wow isn't that crazy when you read this letter it certainly does not appear to be about a cow but it was as if historians in the 1930s 40s and 50s and 60s just could not conceive of this narrative even though it was clearly stated in the letter And so then I was trying to piece the story together and find anything I could find out about all of these little side characters. And for a very long time, for years, I didn't know I would write a book about her. I didn't know if I would ever get enough information together. But 16 years later, (laughs) I was able to find out enough about all the little crumbs, all the little puzzle pieces so that we could start with her life born into slavery, and then find out about how she had escaped. She had escaped with the British.
1: And it was well worth the effort, I must say to you. It is a remarkable piece of work that you have written. So let's go back to Orster Bay, and we're with the Townsend family.
0: Yes, they were were a wealthy family. They were shipping merchants. So the father, Samuel Townsend, actually owned five large sailing vessels that were being uh, sent with captains and crews over to Europe, down into the Caribbean to buy goods, to bring back to the New York market. He was also a politician. So in his town, he was town clerk. He was the justice of the peace of the town. And as the war got closer and the conflict started to increase, he chose to favor the Patriot side. And, On Long Island, that was unusual. Most of his neighbors were loyalists. They were in favor of the king.
1: So he was pretty much on the outside looking in because he chose the patriots over the actual British at this time.
0: Well, he managed to get himself uh, voted on to the New York Provincial Congress, which was the governing patriot body of New York but he had to be careful he couldn't let his neighbors know about what (laughs) we were planning on the american side so he was sworn to secrecy and meeting for about a year and a half in manhattan to help plan the new york response to a british attack but all those plans fell apart when the british attacked uh, long island in august of 1776 so just one month after the declaration of independence and that that was a horrible defeat. Washington's army was way outnumbered and surrounded. They were outmaneuvered, and they ended up retreating uh, onto Manhattan and then eventually retreating all the way off of Manhattan, leaving all of Long Island and all of Manhattan and Staten Island under British control. So the British made Manhattan their headquarters in America, and they made Long Island, where Liss lived at the Townsend's house, kind of like their resting ground, their place where their troops could go and just wait until their next battle and rest up.
1: Wow. Now in all of this, as all of the revolutionary, revolutionary activity is occurring, you have Liz around. She's hearing all of this. So for the Townsend family, about how many slaves did they own during this time besides Liz?
0: And this is the tricky part about research about slavery. It's not ever as complete as you want it to be. So while we know that they had 20 over time, I would estimate 10 to 12 at any given time um, because people had their, their lives, they lived and died and their children grew up and were sent out of the family potentially. So probably about um, 10 to 12 at the time when she lived there. Now the men may not have lived in the house because they had about 350 acres of land in different plots some inside the village some outside the village and so there may have been a difference between agricultural people who were enslaved and household slaves
1: Right and Lys she was a household slave she was yes
0: Mm -hmm. and that gave her contact with the British when they came into the house So the Townsend's home actually became headquarters in the village. Um, Whenever a British regiment would come into the town and billet the soldiers in all the houses, whoever the commander was would live in their house. And so this happened over and over again, um, all the way through the war. But it was the third regiment that visited the house that really changed her course of life because their commander was an early abolitionist. That and it was. Yes, his name was Colonel John Graves Simcoe, and he has been very much under, misunderstood, especially in a TV show called Turn that got a lot of popularity on AMC and Netflix.
1: Yes, it has. I will say it definitely, he has definitely been misunderstood in his life and the things that he was trying to accomplish. But he directly impacted Liz's life
0: directly impacted Liss's life, several other enslaved people during the time of the Revolutionary War, but he had the greatest impact after the war. After the war, he became the governor of Upper Canada. And in the mid 1790s, he put into law the first anti-slavery laws in Canada, the laws that would eventually end slavery in Canada. Now, why is that so significant? Because that is where the Underground Railroad of the Civil War era led. There would not have been an Underground Railroad had it not been for Simcoe ending slavery in Canada. There would have been nowhere for American enslaved people to run away to. So that's pretty significant. But in Liz's life, you know, he, she had contact with him. We know from some of Robert's later letters that she enjoyed talking to him and to other officers. He says that Liz's only fault was being too fond of the British officers and too fond of company, which is an amazing thing to say about her as an enslaved woman.
1: Very true.
0: It shows that she had a lot of poise and probably was intelligent, that she was somewhat fearless. She wasn't afraid to speak not just to a white person, who was above her in social standing, but an officer, a commander who had a lot of power over her. And so they may have had interesting conversations because as I said, he thought slavery was morally wrong.
1: Very true. And Simcoe, he also wanted to use um, enslaved Africans in the war. He saw their value.
0: He did see their value, and it was just about this time when Lys was getting to know him that Sir Henry Clinton, who was the British Commander-in-Chief of America, of British forces in America, put forth a proclamation. And this was in the summer, the late spring of 1779. And that proclamation Simcoe may have had foreknowledge of. So he may have told Lys about this this new law that was going to come into effect. Which essentially said, if enslaved Americans escape from their enslavers and make their way onto the British side and support the British cause, then they will get their freedom at the end of the war. This caused thousands of enslaved Americans to come over to the British side. And after the war, 3,000 African-Americans went to Canada, not only to get their freedom, but to have a new start in life. Very true. And so to respond to that, George Washington said to enslavers, if you put your enslaved person, your enslaved man in my army, and he serves without any problems for three years, at the end of the war, he will get his freedom and the enslaver will get 500 acres of land. So he was really approaching this idea of conscripting black slaves from the enslaver's point of view, since he did enslave hundreds, Washington.
1: Right. Very, Mm -hmm. very true that he did. Now, so for Liz personally, Mm -hmm. Simcoe directly impacted her life and her means of finding her freedom.
0: Yes, we know that when he departed the Townsend's house on May 18th of 1779, she escaped with his regiment. We don't know exactly how. But I did find an interesting detail in one of Samuel Townsend's ledger books. Um, The British were often just stealing things, taking things from the Americans, but Simcoe had a more uh, moral stance. He would often pay for goods from Samuel Townsend, and those payments are logged in the ledger books. And what he bought prior to their uh, leaving Oyster Bay was interesting. He bought two large hinges, two large metal door hinges. And he brought a whole lot of nails. And uh, I always wonder if he didn't make some sort of a little place for her to hide. He had three wagons in his regiment. And so I wonder if he didn't make a little hatch for her to be hidden in.
1: Right. So she could be smuggled out without Mm -hmm. anyone knowing. But it's interesting in espionage and enslavement, you... And Dr. Brooks, you have three scenarios as to what happens and how this happens, and who knows as to what is going on.:
0: Yeah, how- there, there's one thing that we haven't really um, explained to your audience, is that the Townsend's son, Robert, who was in his mid-20s, he was working in Manhattan as a merchant as part of his family's business. He had actually become Washington's spy. So he had joined just as Lys is escaping with Simcoe this group which we now call the Culper spy ring and so here you have this patriot leader father Samuel a patriot son Robert risking his life as a spy and Lys escaping with the British sort of embedded into this regiment so I guess the three scenarios we lay out in this way who knew about Liz's escape? Was it just Simcoe? Was she strictly trying to gain her freedom in the way that it had been presented to her? Did Robert also know that she was leaving? And I'll get into why we think that might be the case. There's a letter he wrote his father eight days after her escape that is a very interesting letter that hints that he knew more than he was letting on. And then there's the idea that the father, Samuel, also understood what was happening. He had been forced to sign an oath of allegiance to the king, and now he had British commanders billeting in his house. How could Samuel help the American cause? And so the idea of Lys possibly even being knowingly embedded in the British officer's world is a possibility. And uh, that's because we do know what happened to Liz. She did not disappear after she escaped. She went on to live enslaved again by a British officer in Manhattan. So the Queens Rangers, that's the regiment that Simcoe commanded. She left with them, but she didn't stay with them. They actually came back to Oyster Bay three months later, stayed in the Townsend's house again, and she wasn't with them three months later. But we find out through letters that Robert wrote later that she was living in Manhattan in an unnamed British officer's home. He gives us a lot of information about what happened to Liz, but he never tells us the name of that man who enslaved her again. So, go ahead.
1: (laughs) Any guesses as to why he would not name that person?
0: Well, I think it is significant that he did not name that person. Um, It could be that that Liss was helping the Culper spies with intelligence, or at least helping Robert with intelligence. See, Robert had just become the lead spy in Manhattan. The other main spy in the Culper spy ring, a man named Abraham Woodhull, was living way out on Long Island in Setauket. And so he used to have to travel all the way from Suffolk County through the length of Long Island, get to Manhattan, then try to get intelligence from his informants, then he'd have to take that all the way back out to Setauket, write it in a letter to Washington, and have it taken over by boat to the Connecticut side of Long Island Sound, and then travel by by horse to Washington. This guy, Abraham Woodhull, was being stopped by the British as he traveled across Long Island. So he had he had gotten Robert to agree to take over the Manhattan operation, and he would just send a courier into Manhattan to pick up Robert's letters and bring them back out to Setauket where they could then get sent over to Connecticut. So Robert at this very critical moment when Liz is coming into Manhattan was trying to set up his informant network and who better to be an informant for him than a woman he had known his entire life who was trying to get her own freedom and who might be able to overhear the goings-on inside of a British officer's home. You know, enslaved people were almost invisible. They weren't even regarded as real people. And so they could walk in and out of rooms and overhear things, and the people who were enslaving them weren't even really thinking about that.
1: Very true. So it's possible that she provided Robert and the Culper spy ring with a link to gain the information that they needed. It's
0: possible. I mean, I'm sure that Robert had multiple sources of information that he was relying on to get his intelligence out of New York to Washington. But could Lis have been part of that? It's certainly plausible. Now, right at the same time, the other spy, Abraham Woodhull, says in one of his letters that there's a lady who's helping them. He doesn't say the word lady in the letter. He uses one of their code numbers. They had a series of 700 numbers that represented words. And so he uses the number three, five, five to talk about a new acquaintance of his in New York, who is helping the spies. And she is actually capable of doing something special something that will outwit the british and so this word outwit it's it's really engaging to me because it means you're doing something clever that's unexpected and i think that lys may have been doing just that again we cannot prove that there was just one letter that spoke of 355 amidst literally hundreds of pages of letters that went out from the culper spies to washington so she's never mentioned again But the timing is really interesting and we also know that robert had contact with liss in manhattan during the years when he was a spy so he told his father in the letter he wrote after her escape that his father should write her off as a dead loss that he would never get her again that he shouldn't even try to get her back but then later on robert Bought a few things for lists and he made note of that in his ledger book
1: And was this in spring of 1782 something interesting happens
0: So in the spring of 1782 that was one of the purchases there was another purchase He made for her bought her something in 1781 but 82 is a very important time because in 81 we had the Surrender at Yorktown. And now in 82, there's people leaving the city. People are beginning to, the British are beginning to evacuate. And so Liz, we find out, did not want to leave New York. She wanted to stay in New York City. And she came to Robert and appealed to him to do something pretty incredible. She asked him to buy her back.
1: And Why was that?
0: Well, she wanted to stay in New York and she thought that if he bought her she would have a way of continuing to live here But it's just amazing to think that she had this opportunity to To be free to leave leave with the British. Yeah, and instead she wanted to stay and there is something that we found out You could, I found out about her at that time. She was about three months pregnant and that would have been her first child. So I'm a mom and I know that you're a mother and I know that your first pregnancy, it's, 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 a, it's you just want so badly to care for your child. You want so badly to have a successful birth and a successful, um, Infancy with your child and maybe that had something to do with why she didn't want to leave
1: Right and also to be around someone that you know someone who is familiar and for her Partially that's Robert as well because they grew up together She knew him well,
0: she trusted him enough to ask him to do this for her and She obviously didn't think he was going to hurt her or she wouldn't have come to him like that It's also interesting that she knew where he was, right? I mean, he moved his shop and his business and his apartment mid-war. So even if she had known where he lived right after she escaped, he then moved his whole uh, business and apartment to another part of Manhattan because he was trying to hide from Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold had come to Manhattan, switched sides, and joined the British side, and he was rounding up suspected spies. And that caused Robert to go into hiding for about three months. And when he came back in the spring of 81, he uh, tried to move himself to a quieter part of town. And she obviously knew that that had happened because she came to him to say, help me, buy me back. Now, Robert had already begun to have anti-slavery feelings at this time. We know that he had employed a white servant to be his housekeeper, a woman named Polly Banvard. And that was not typical. What was typical was to enslave a woman to be your house cleaner. But he, he didn't do that. And so he took Liss in and she gave birth in early February of 1782 to a child, a little boy who I think was named Harry.
1: And what is unusual about Harry? How is he identified as?
0: He is identified by Robert as biracial. Robert uses a word that's now offensive, mulatto, but he means to say that he has a white father. Now, it's all speculation as to who the father is. It certainly could have been Robert. We know from his purchases for things for Lysk, that he was in contact with her about the time that she became pregnant and possibly through the whole period. Um, It could have also been her British enslaver, the man whose name we don't know. And it could have been a random other white person. I mean, enslaved people, I'm sure, had no free will and they were subject to abuse from all sides. So we don't know for sure. We do know, though, that Robert took a special interest in Harry and the readers will see through things that happen toward the end of the book that I don't really want to give away yet. Um, Robert really safeguards him in many ways.
1: Right. And Robert is quite honorable in that, you know, as you mentioned, there is another young woman who came in, Polly, um, and certain events that I will not mention, he also looks after her as well. So he is a very honorable young man. In the yeah, you know,
0: He does seem to have had a real moral compass, and he was also not interested in politics, which almost every other man in his family was interested in. He wasn't interested in vanity. He never had his portrait painted. He didn't want to um, go to social events, and he never married. And uh, I always wonder if if that wasn't because of his relationship with Elizabeth.
1: Very true. Now, once after she has Harry Mm -hmm. and she has been resold to Robert. Her life takes yet another turn. Yes.
0: Yes. I mean, it's, it's sad. I think this, this other turn, because it may have happened with the best of intentions again, that went terribly wrong. Um, As I said, Robert probably wasn't interested in owning a slave at all. Um, But But Lys knew a woman who did want to own her, a woman whose husband had just had a heart attack and died. So this was a middle-aged woman named Anne Sharwin. and she suddenly found herself a widow in her 40s, and her husband had had this business of making fine saddles, horses' saddles, and uh, now Anne Sharwin is just in charge of everything. <laughs> and she knew Liz, knew baby Harry, and she appealed to Robert to sell Liz and Harry to her, and Robert agreed. Apparently Liz also agreed on this arrangement, if you believe Robert's letters about what happened. But Robert wasn't, um, wasn't feeling right about just selling Liz and, and Harry outright. He wanted to make a special arrangement to make sure that he had some control over what was happening. So he made an agreement with this widow woman, Anne, that if she ever wanted to leave New York, or ever, for whatever reason, wanted to sell Liss and Harry, that Robert would get the right of first opportunity, that he would get first chance to buy them back again. And as far as Robert was concerned, that was a settled agreement. And unfortunately, Robert kind of took his eye off the ball then and started getting more involved in reclaiming some business debts that he had and didn't... Pay attention to what was happening to Liz.
1: And what does happen to Liz? Because for a while, things are going well. She's enjoying her new environment.
0: You know, Robert says as far as he knew, everything was fine. But everything was not fine. Uh, This woman, Anne, who was in her middle age, remarried. And she remarried only a year later to a man who had recently become widowed a very wealthy merchant named Alexander Robertson. Um, Alexander Robertson is remembered as being a philanthropist. He actually helped to found a school uh, with money that he left in his will, a private school that still exists in Manhattan. It's still here, the Alexander Robertson School, believe it or not. But um, in his real life that we know of him, he, he was a very cruel person. After he married Anne Sharwin, he did something to Liss or with Liss that created what's described as a derangement and separation in the marriage. So this new marriage, because of something he did to Liss, was instantly dissolved. And Anne Sharwin, the woman he married, just disappears from the record. I have looked and looked and I cannot find what happened to her. But for some reason, Alexander Robertson retained ownership of Liss and baby Harry. But that wasn't enough for him. It wasn't enough for him to get rid of his new wife and to own her her enslaved people. He wanted to hurt either Liss or Anne because what he did to Liss was just horrific. Should I tell our readers what happened or should we let them read it for themselves?
1: We will let them read that part for themselves. But we can say that her life takes a drastic turn that is, it's inconceivable as a mother myself. And it is just, it goes, it shows you how angry and how vindictive Mr. Robertson was in his actions.
0: Mm-hmm. And how, no matter how much agency Liz showed when she escaped from Oyster Bay, when she was making decisions uh, about her future, seeking out Robert's help, that enslaved people, um, in in many ways, were just at the mercy of their circumstances. Sometimes things would happen to them that they couldn't control.
1: Very true. And so Liz's life... It takes many unfortunate turns, and she has quite the journey that is ahead of her, but it's the same way for Robert as well. You know, all events that happen once we have the introduction of Mr. Robertson, so many lives are changed and transformed by these actions.
0: You know, he was actually on his own journey of personal discovery and had committed himself to be a member of a brand new group that started in New York that was against slavery. They called themselves the New York Manumission Society. Manumission is a word that readers might not be familiar with, but it means the legal freedom of a person, gaining your legal freedom. And so this group of leading New Yorkers wanted all slaves to be freed. They wanted to end legal slavery. but. They couldn't do it. They could not get the votes. And so Robert joined them very early on, maybe their second meeting in 1785. And their president was John Jay. Interestingly, John Jay had also been part of Robert's spy life. He had, John Jay had been an advisor to George Washington with his espionage. And John Jay and his brother, James Jay, had invented the American invisible ink technology. So John Jay had brought his brother in as a chemist and, um, and they had developed, really his brother developed it, but he helped him, our invisible ink. And so here's John Jay showing up again in the story, this time as the leader of an anti-slavery group. Of course, John Jay owned many slaves. So it's this great push and pull of morality. You know, how can you be the leader of an anti-slavery group and enslave people? But that was the circumstance.
1: So for both Robert and Liss at this time, their lives are transformed. They're going in so many parallel, in some ways, yet contradictory directions. And this is not the end of their story. It's just... It's actually the beginning, but we're not going to spoil that for our readers because we want them to pick up the book to take a look at it. But I
0: I also want readers to um, think about as they read the book, you know, um, the Revolutionary War is usually the spotlight of that era. And that's what people get really interested in and engaged in. And in this book, you certainly will feel that you are deeply engaged in a brand new way with the Revolutionary War. But I also want um, people to get a window into what happened in the years after the war and how unsettled America was and how uncertain people's futures were, um, both Roberts and Lisses, It was a time of, of great um, hardship for people when our economy was in tatters. And it also was this unformed moral landscape where people knew that they had a new country on their hands, but just what were they gonna do with it? How were they gonna make it uh, the best country it could be? And oftentimes that was just not happening the way they wanted it to.
1: So if you had readers take one thing away from Liz's narrative, what would you want it to be? What would you want them to know as they are going to pick up espionage and enslavement to learn about her? What would be something that you would want to say to them about Liz?
0: You know, when we think about our founding figures, and we see their faces before us. I want to add a woman of color to that group. And I believe Liz is that woman. She can represent the 16% of the population in New York who were enslaved people of color. They were here at our country's founding and before. They were a big part of the social landscape, and yet they're just not represented. And so, If you think about the significance of Harriet Tubman in the Civil War era, I want Liz to be that significant anchor person who you can see the world through their eyes during the period of the Revolutionary War and America's founding and so I really want them to Lift her up in the way that I have and let her take her place as a new founding figure
1: I agree and she is definitely one of those I would say now there's something very interesting about your book. There are many things interesting, and I can't get into all of them right now. But you have a forward that is written by Vanessa Williams.
0: Yes, the yes, that Vanessa Williams. As so many people ask me, do you mean that Vanessa Williams? Yes, I do. As she is an amazing woman, not only because she wrote our forward and cares about Lissa's story, but because she's actually connected to the story with her own lineage. She isn't related to Lys, but she can trace her background, her ancestors in the same town where Lys was enslaved, Oyster Bay. She can take them back to the Civil War with her ancestor, David Carl, who fought in the Civil War, but also even further back into the era when slavery was legal, with people who were members of her family who lived in that town. So uh, a member of her family might have walked along the road with Liz, and represented this group of people of color who were living through this time period.
1: Oh my gosh. Wow. That is so fascinating.
0: Yeah. She she actually has um, the option on the book, as they say. She has optioned it which means that she is dedicated to taking this story to the next level um, and getting it out there more broadly to the world through media. And we're excited to see where that might go.
1: I am as well. And I'm hoping that everyone has an opportunity to learn more about Liz and her life because it is truly fascinating. So Mrs. Joe I want to thank you for joining me today and Readers, please go out and pick up a copy of Espionage and Enslavement in the Revolution to learn about this extraordinary woman of African descent and her journey in revolutionary and post-revolutionary America. Thank you so much for joining me, Mrs. Belarjo.
0: You know, and I just want to give a special shout out to my co-author, Tiffany Yeki Brooks, who is a brilliant writer, and I could never have done this without her. She's an incredible professional writer and people should really follow her books as well. Other books that she's written, but she made such a difference in my writing journey. And uh, I'm actually working with her on another book, which is a student version of Espionage and Enslavement. That will be for nine to 12-year-olds and it's going to be called Remember Lists. We're about halfway through writing that right now.
1: Very good. I look forward to that coming to press as well, because the more people who learn about Liz's life, I think the better. Yeah,
0: teachers and students need a way to interact with this story. And so that's why we're so um, dedicated to doing that.
1: Thank you, Mrs. It has been a pleasure speaking with you today. And readers, once again, please, I urge you to go out and pick up a copy of Espionage and Enslavement in the Revolution to learn more about Liz's life and her journeys and to find out what happens to her after she is, I want to say, victimized in some ways by Mr. Robertson. Yes. Thank you, Mrs. Beller
0: Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure.